Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. In this, the final episode of Season 7, wow. we are covering Elvis, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. Elvis is in the building. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies and are so excited to bring you our review of Elvis today. So Elvis explores the life and music of Elvis Presley, seen through the prism of his complicated relationship with his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. The story spans 20 years, from Presley's rise to fame to unprecedented stardom, set against the evolving cultural landscape of America. Central to that journey is one of the most significant people in Elvis's life, Priscilla Presley. Elvis is directed by Baz Luhrmann, the one and only, from a screenplay by Luhrmann and Sam Bromel, Craig Pierce and Jeremy Donner, from a story by Luhrmann and Jeremy Donner. Elvis stars Austin Butler, Olivia De Jong, Tom Hanks, Dacre Montgomery, David Wenham, Cody Smith-McPhee, Luke Bracey, Richard Roxburgh, Xavier Samuel and Kelvin Harrison Jr. What a cast, what a film. Here we go. Here Let's we discuss go. it. So, like, where do you begin with it with this film? Because with any Baz Luhrmann movie, there are so many layers to the way he tells his stories, and we want to capture as much as possible in this review. So, where, yes. where do you want to start? Well, let me give us this starting okay, point. Go. Okay, I think we need to establish, and I think this is where some of the divisive reactions for the film come from, because there has been mixed reviews. And that comes with any Baz Luhrmann film, right? Yeah, I does it? Oh, I guess I, so. I reckon because he's got such a unique style and stamp yeah. in the way he tells his stories that, like, it's Baz Luhrmann films aren't for everyone. Yeah, 
but once you go in with that lens and that experience, if you're a fan of his or mm. not, there there's always something to take yeah. out of a Baz film. But I think we need to manage expectations and explain that this film is told from the viewpoint mm. of the villain of the piece. Yes. Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks. Mm. And it's more about their relationship from his point mm. of view than Elvis as a person. So I think that's where the mismanaged expectations are coming from. Now, did that surprise you that Colonel Tom Parker was such a big voice and character in this movie? It did. It did. It was an unusual uh, angle to take, I guess. But it's an interesting one. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Like, if you break it down, there's, there's a line of dialogue that the film opens with or, or in the opening where Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, he says, I'm the man who gave the world Elvis Presley. Right. So from that perspective, I guess it makes sense to hear the story of Elvis over a couple of decades from mm. his viewpoint. But did you think it distracted from Elvis in, in any way as being the main protagonist of this movie? Well, the thing is, it's not a biopic in the mm. traditional sense. Whether it distracted from it, I don't think so. It was an unusual route to take, but yeah. it's an original one and you yes. expect nothing less from Baz Luhrmann. It's an unexpected one and it was very valuable to mm. learn more about Elvis and his experience. And in this one, it's told from a perspective that isn't the audience or Elvis, which is what you would normally get with a biopic. Colonel Tom Parker is an unreliable narrator. Indeed. And he feels it's his story. Yes. He's telling us about Elvis, but it's always from a very self-serving point of view. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would go into this film thinking they're going to see a straight biopic about Elvis. Oh, and little do they know that Baz has yes. absolutely spun the biopic, quote-unquote biopic, on its head here yeah. and made it his own. Own. When you say spin, okay, oh. I want to come back to that word. <laughs> yes. Because we said after the film, what's one word to describe the film? Yes. Because we saw it separately. Yeah. And what was your word? I said busy. Yes. But it's spin is a good word too. Yes. I used frantic. Mm. I mean, busy and frantic you can interpret like negatively. Yeah. But we, we didn't come with those words with the negative connotation attached. It's Not like, entirely. Not entirely. <laughs> you know, Baz films are busy. They are frantic. There's always a lot going on. So, yeah, let's continue to break it down. Just talking about the story in general and the style. Okay. Mm. So, the big question is, does this film offer more than what we already know? Does it break down this icon in a way that shares his humanity and something deeper? That was my big question coming out of this film. Yeah. I don't think it does. And why do you think it didn't fill that void for you? Why didn't you come out of the film thinking you knew something new about Elvis, something was uncovered that I you knew, didn't well, know? Well, I knew I didn't know about the relationship between Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis and how – how badly he screwed over Elvis's finances. Time and time again. You know, and it said, we said at the beginning of the episode that central to Elvis's journey is one of the most important people in his life, Priscilla. Mm. Did you get that sense from the story? No, she came in very late and there was more of Priscilla that I wanted. You got a sense of their relationship mm. and at a crucial point of his resurgence in career when he came out of the army, mm. which was, you know, an interesting part of his life, that's for sure. But it didn't delve into their dynamics. No, and I guess that's because no. it is told from Colonel Parker's point of view and he yeah. wouldn't have been privy to all of that. So that brings me back to my earlier point where do you think it distracted? Uh, maybe not distracted, but I think it pulled us away from delving deeper into certain aspects yeah. of Elvis's life because it was told from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. 
Because with Priscilla Presley and Elvis and their relationship, yeah. we they weren't married for all that long, 1968 to 1973, I believe. Yeah. And the degradation of their marriage just came out of nowhere in yeah. this movie. Just one fight that undid it all. Yeah. And then we're meant to accept the fact that their their marriage has broken down. But yeah. it was a fleeting second. And there's a lot of those fleeting seconds yes. in this film. There's a lot of montages. I've seen some criticism yes. out there that it's just one, one big long montage. <laughs> um, he does like a montage, Baz. Oh, yes, he does. This one has a lot of them mm. in it. And it makes it move fast. For a film that's two hours and 40 minutes long, it's a long film. Mm. But despite the length, it does skip over a lot very quickly. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You think, how are we two hours and 40 minutes into a movie but feel like certain aspects over the 20 years were literally just brushed by? His filmmaking career yeah. kind of brushed over. His time in the army kind of brushed over. Yeah, A lot of it, a lot of it was moved over very quickly. Do you think that's the casualty of trying to cover as many decades as they did? Or do you think it's just the way Baz wanted to approach the story? I think it's a creative choice. It's obviously an intentional creative choice, but I think a lot of people are going to be disorientated. Mm. And that's another word that gets thrown around with Baz Luhrmann films, Mm. disorientating. You're constantly trying to orientate yourself in what's going on and what's just happened and where you are. Yeah. And that's intentional. That's his style. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. At the heart of the story, though, ultimately it follows the pattern that we do see in biopics, a cautionary tale about the exploitation of artists Mm. and fame at all costs. It's really sad to me that Elvis is the best-selling artist of all time. He still holds that title. And he was a slave to work Mm. for most of his career to stay afloat. It's just really sad. It's really disgraceful. Yeah, disgraceful is a good word. It's utterly devastating. And I think when we later talk about Austin Butler's performance, you really really feel empathetic towards Elvis, which I wasn't expected to feel because I knew he was a troubled Mm. man. I didn't know a lot about Elvis, but I knew he was a troubled man and things didn't go his way, but he was wildly successful. So I found that journey that we watched him go through Mm. really sad. Like you yeah. said, I was I was very sad. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about the choice at the beginning of the film to juxtapose real footage of Elvis alongside mm. Austin Butler performing? I thought it was really impressive. I can see you're stealing yourself to say otherwise. No. Okay. I had an issue with it at the end of the film. Okay. Because I was deeply moved by the end of the movie. I mm-hmm. think it was beautifully done. But I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but you you reference that they use archival footage and they do it tastefully Mm. and sporadically throughout the life of the movie. But I actually think it distracted and took away from Austin Butler's performance because there's a point where they marry archival footage with Austin's features and then they completely remove and they actually show the real archival footage of Elvis singing on stage in his last Vegas show there's no Austin there. And I thought, why would you end the film with a tour de force performance like Austin with the real Elvis? You're kind of just, right. I don't know. I, fa- I found it really odd, an odd choice. I actually found that I couldn't tell whether it was Austin or the real Elvis. It was beautifully done. Yeah. But I have an eye for that stuff generally. Mm. And I could see the point where Austin was taken completely out and we were just looking at the real Elvis. And I thought it was powerful. Don't get me wrong. I had tears in my eyes. It was stunning because his vocal performance, unreal as an artist. But I found it strange that Baz chose to use archival footage to end the film and take Austin Mm. completely out of the picture, so to speak. Right. Okay. Well, I found it really good in the beginning Mm. because 
you know, that's how confident they are in Austin Butler's performance that yes. they could put the two side by side on screen. Unreal. And it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that brings back to the whole use of montage, split screens, all that sort of chaos and movement going on. Mm. So you blink and you miss it in a Baz film. Yeah. And I thought, I agree, that that marriage between Austin and Elvis in those instances was like stunning. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Baz's style because yes. he is a showman. Oh, isn't he just? He understands this kind of showmanship that's needed to tell yeah. a story about the most iconic musician of all time. Yeah. It's a partnership that I thought made a lot of sense. Yes, 100%. I mean, Priscilla Presley has raved about Baz and his mm. take on the story of, of Elvis and I'm not surprised she feels that way. But I want to talk about his his transitions. G. Baz loves a transition <laughs> yes. in his unique style. They're very distinctive. He loves yes. a sweeping establishing shot. A so, spin. so many. A spin. The first spin we get is with Colonel Parker and a spinning, you know, roulette yes. table in the eye. And, and we go from 1977 or something, or no, 1997 back to 1973. Yeah. There's these constant stunning, very curated transitions between moments in time that just hook you. Yes, but also that can be very disorientating for some. I agree. You constantly have to reorientate yourself from scene to scene in what the timeline is, what's happening, mm. where you are, where the character's at. You know, the words we used earlier, busy and frantic, you mm. can take that how you will and it's not for everyone. I mean, busy and frantic, but he works really hard to make it really clear, <laughs> literally, where you are because he uses a lot of big titles announcing the places and where we're going in the film. It almost like big news headlines or Vegas signs. Yes. So it's like Beale Street, Memphis and like all these all these things. So you, you know exactly where you are at any mm. given moment because he literally throws it at you. Yeah, the way Baz creatively uses filmmaking tools at his disposal to create a feeling mm. and a response from the audience is really clever. And one way he does that is the music building and oh. the action building. It builds with the action and just keeps going and the visuals and then it becomes like this hyper-stimulating assault on the senses. Oh, that God, gets, I love that. It gets your heart rate pumping and then boom, it stops. You know you know what I wrote? I wrote, Baz works in crescendos over Crescendo. and over. Yeah. That's a great word. He builds and stops and then builds and stops. It barely takes a breath, this movie. But when it does, did you enjoy those breaths? There's one scene in particular with um, Elvis and his mother mm. that I really loved because you got a sense of the connection in his relationship with her. Yeah, that was nice. I've probably wanted a few more of those, I, I think, in this movie. As as much as the fun ride as it was that Baz takes yeah. you on, he probably needed to take one or two more breaths from time to time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I generally enjoy his use of montages too. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. we talked about the montages earlier. For some, it can feel like a big budget perfume commercial, and I I get that. Yes, because he's made one. Yeah, <laughs> the Chanel number no. five. Yeah, most expensive commercial of all time. <laughs> yeah. Fourteen million dollars it costs or something. But you know, it has to happen in conjunction with furthering the story and the character development, and it needs to be substance and style have to work together in tandem to create this cohesive project. I think maybe the rhinestone scales are tipping too far one way, Uh huh. if I can put it like that. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, look, Lee, you and I, we're huge Baz fans. Yes. You have to take his films, though, with a grain of salt. He doesn't shy away from what he's trying to do. He wants to make an experience fully immersive, yada, yada, yada. But I, I do agree with you. It, it did tip the scales somewhere else. 
not the wrong way, but just a bit off balance, I yeah. suppose, in trying to cohesively tell the story yep. how you kind of want it to be told. And how you expected it yes. to be told. Yes. But you've got to admire Baz for his originality. 100%. And speaking <sighs> of his originality, what I learned in my research for this episode is that Baz loves to play a soundtrack on set. Right. Yeah, and so it's something that would go with the scene, like really loudly to get the cast and the crew in mm. the mood or into a certain vibe and create this huge energy. All the sentiment that I've been reading about Baz is that he's at 110% <laughs> yeah. all the time. And there's no surprise. Like you have to be yeah. way up there to deliver a project like this yes. and to feed off that energy and for the cast and crew to deliver yes. at that scale that he expects and the story demands. Speaking of the cast and crew delivering, can we talk about Austin Butler's performance please, now, please? Please, 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 please. He is in Incredible. I got chills. Yeah. His voice and physicality is just wonderful. I believe singing was a blend of Austin and Elvis in places. Yes. And and Austin was doing it solo when when Elvis was younger. And that makes sense. That that's like a champion of sound mixing. Yeah. Because it was so beautifully done. In his early in the fifties and sixties it was Austin. And then yeah, when obviously Elvis's voice matured mm. as he would going into his thirties and forties, which Austin isn't in his forties. <laughs> no. It was uh, a really smart, creative choice mm. and it worked really well. I think what he also did really well was that he captured Elvis's evolving style yes. and confidence perfectly. So when he's young and energetic and, you know, full of beans, he's a bit messy. Full of beans. <laughs> yeah. He's a bit messy yeah. in the performance. Mm. And then when he's older, he's more confident and assured of himself and who he is as a performer. And Austin nailed that transition. Do you know what? Just to be superficial for a hot second, mm. I'm a guy who has grown up with like an Afro curly hair. <laughs> okay. Right? Yes. And so there's something about guys with hair like Elvis that just <laughs> makes me weak at the knees. Like I wish I could have had and pulled off that sort of messy hair coming down over the fringe that and stuff. That big buffont. Oh, that big buffont. Yeah. The quiff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds like a naughty word. Yeah, that's but right. But yeah, I just and, and he just pulls that off, the look, the physicality. He yeah. is so kinetic as Elvis. He is absolutely spectacular. And then bringing it down to the raw emotion. Yes. His performance when Elvis loses someone close to him mm. is just outstanding. The raw emotion in those scenes in particular, was mm. stunning to watch. I just couldn't take my eyes off Austin Butler. His physicality is so convincing. And you run the risk of impersonating Elvis, right? Yeah. He never once falls into the trap of impersonating Elvis. He embodies him. I believe that when Tom Hanks saw early footage of him auditioning, he right. said to Baz, that is Elvis. Wow. He's not playing Elvis. Mm. He is Elvis. Yes. Gosh, imagine taking on the role of Elvis on a project like this. It's huge. Like hats off to Mr. Butler because yeah. the pressure, yes. but boy, did he deliver. Speaking of Tom Hanks, Colonel Parker in this film is always hovering like a bad smell around corners, spying and lurking. <laughs> yeah. He sees Elvis as a great carnival act and his meal ticket. He's a smart businessman. Mm. And he was a pioneer in the type of marketing and merchandising that hadn't been seen before this time. Yeah. But he's utterly a scoundrel and we haven't really seen Tom Hanks in many of these roles. Okay, would you call him a villain though? Because I quite I like so. Yeah. I quite liked him though. Oh <laughs> really? Yeah. Tom like, Hanks made him likable. Yes. And I don't know if that's a problem. Like I I didn't 
agree with many things that Colonel Parker did. Yeah. But I still found him oddly endearing. And I wonder if that is Tom Hanks coming through. Maybe. I didn't. You didn't? Oh, ew. Okay. No. Well, just touching on the whole merchandise thing, there was a great moment where they were selling I Love Elvis badges, but also I Hate Elvis Mm. badges. And the line of dialogue was, what is hate worth if it's free? And so he he would go out of his way and merchandise hate for Elvis and make money off it. Yeah. So very clever. Maybe not endearing. No, but very clever. <laughs> very and he's clever. so self-centered. Mm. Like towards the end, there's a scene where the Vegas audience is clapping Elvis and cheering for him. And Colonel Parker actually takes a small bow. Did you notice that? No. He's in the wings. Yeah. And he takes a bow like the audience is clapping him because he feels that he did this. It's all him. Well, what was the line of dialogue I mentioned at the top of the episode? He goes, I'm the man who gave the world Elvis Presley. So that behaviour makes sense, doesn't it? I didn't notice the little bow. We've got to talk about Olivia Dijon as Priscilla Presley. She's very sweet and endearing, lovely, playing opposite Austin Butler. Yeah. They go really well together. They do, they do. And we've already touched on the fact that we needed more of Priscilla in this film Mm -hmm. to see their developing relationship I loved all her looks. We'll talk about the costume design later, but, you know, she embodied Priscilla, who has almost as many iconic looks as Elvis himself mm. did. Yeah. So that that was really great to see her bring those iconic looks to life. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about as well is Elvis's mother, Gladys, played oh. by Australian theatre talent Helen Thompson. Amazing. She's incredible. Absolutely gorgeous. And she plays Elvis's mother so well. Do you know what? Like, as I was watching the film and watching her performance, mm. I was like, who is this woman? Yeah. I was absolutely shook at how brilliant she was. Yeah. And obviously, Elvis's mother does die. That's a huge part in his mm. mental health and mm. all the things that happen from there on in his career and personal life. I was genuinely devastated that she died because we weren't going to get more of her performance. Yes, yes. Uh, she was so amazing in yes. this movie. I reckon a supporting actress Oscar. Yes, you reckon? Yeah, it was. It was so impactful. Like I, I, that's yeah. one of the other than Austin Butler's performance. Hers was the one I've gone away after a few days yeah. and kept thinking about. Let's talk about Richard Roxburgh, who mm. is an iconic Australian talent. He was playing Elvis's dad, Vernon. Yeah. I think he was too identifiable. He's in so many of Lerman's hits and I just couldn't suspend that belief that he was Elvis's dad. Mm. It's not to do with his performance, although there wasn't a lot of him in it to mm. get a sense of his performance. Yeah, Maybe they were purposefully trying to keep him a low profile, but it's Elvis's father. You know, he's a main character. Yeah. He's an important character in Elvis's life. Yeah. So. I yeah wasn't sold on that casting, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe a bit of miscasting there. There was one thing, he obviously, he plays the Maharaja in Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. Richard, Richard Roxburgh. He didn't portray the Maharaja in this film at all. However, his moustache <laughs> was very much like the Maharaja. And so it took me out. The Duke. In, yeah, the Duke. Yeah. You know, the Maharaja. So, you know, to build on yours about miscasting, I thought, oh, I can see his Moulin Rouge character mm. physically in this and it was a little distracting with the moustache. It's, it's a, there's a who's who of Australian talent in this film and there you can't is. avoid using recognisable names. You know, you've got David Wenham as country star Hank Snow, mm. Luke Bracey as Elvis's friend Jerry Schilling. There was Xavier Samuel, Dacre Montgomery, Kate Mulvaney, Cody Smith-McVie, who we just saw in The Power of the Dog. Yeah. So, you know, like Australian acting pool 
of well-known talent isn't that huge, but surely there had to be tons more that you could have drawn from. Mm. I guess it's kind of nice that, you know, Lerman uses the actors that he likes and he feels familiar with and stuff, but when you've got such iconic real-life people, Mm. I think you have to be careful of casting recognisable names. Right, and just because you're filming the movie in Australia, you don't have to cast a cast of thousands of Australians. Yeah. But, but I get it from a producing perspective, no disrespect, but it would have been cheaper to do it that way yeah. and convenient, all those things. But can I just build on that? I feel like our experience watching a film that's made in Australia with a mm. whole bunch of just random Australian actors in it won't be the experience of international audiences. So maybe they'll look True. at it from a different lens. It's hard for us to look past that. But is Richard Roxburgh well-known internationally just through Baz Luhrmann's films, I would think? Yeah, I mean, he's been in... A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I mean, but like you get David Wenham, who's equally as well known as Richard Roxburgh, but somehow more of a character actor, maybe? Yes. He he lost himself in the character a bit more? Or? Yeah. And maybe because he wasn't, he was only in a small portion of the movie. Yeah, where Richard maybe. Roxburgh, it was that ongoing red thread being his father. He was always going to show yeah. up. Maybe that's the difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the Beale Street performers for a second because they were incredible too. You've got Kelvin Harrison Jr. as B.B. King. Yeah. He grounds Elvis. He's like a sounding board for him in times of, of strife. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he goes to him and he trusts him a lot, yeah. Elvis does, when he needs advice. Yeah. yeah. And then Alton Mason as Little Richard. Oh, what a performance yeah. that was. I've got him down here. I wanted to talk about him yeah. as well. And Shonka Dukera as Big Mama Thornton. Like yeah. some really incredible performers there. Honestly, the incarnation of Little Richard and singing yes. that Tutti Frutti song, gosh, that was electrifying. Yeah. That was a really fun moment in the movie. Yeah. And I was really sad that that was it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Thought, because he's gone around, he was at Cannes at the premiere, mm. and I thought, oh, is Little Richard going to be a big feature in this movie? Yeah. Um, because he's out following the whole trail, but sadly not. No. But he definitely makes an impression. Let's move on to production design, costumes and cinematography. A lot of it done by Catherine Martin, Oscar mm-hmm. winner Catherine Martin. Visually, this film is flawless, flawless, I think. It captures that whole Vegas, rhinestone, flashy essence that we came to know from Elvis's public persona. Yeah. Have you been to Graceland? I have not. I would I, love to. Have yeah, you been? I've been. So I, I had a lot of fun seeing them recreate the iconic homestead of yes. Elvis and Priscilla and Lisa Marie you know, it took them 10 weeks to build that. Yeah. Insane. That's actually, yeah, not that long. That's crazy. Mm. And do you know the design of Graceland through the different periods is based on actual blueprints of the building? Wow, that's amazing. So they got it right. Yeah. And Catherine Martin's attention to detail as both production designer and costume mm. designer is unparalleled. You know, there's a reason she's won four Academy Awards. She has two. Yeah. I think she's in for another one next year for this. Oh, I re- okay. So do you reckon... For both production design and costume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Graceland is one massive feat because it's such an iconic place. Mm. And then you've also got the recreation of Beale Street, which was just so electric as well. They built that over a 12-week period and it was just so exciting. And I've been to Beale Street in Memphis before Have you as, as well? well? Oh, my I've, God. I've been I'm so out, jealous. I've been out on the town. Uh, I've been to B.B. King's Bar or whatever it yeah. is. So, uh, obviously, I wasn't there in the – when do they go there? In the 60s in yeah. the film? I was there in the – like 2011, so slightly different <laughs> vibes. But um, they encapsulated what it would have been like 
at the time. Such an exciting place. And most of it was built on sound stages on the mm. Gold Coast yeah. in Australia. Australia represent. Australia. You know, one of my favourite set pieces, mm. it wasn't in the film for very long, but it was the decrepit Hollywood sign. Yeah. I thought that was a stunning piece of production design yeah. and set dressing. It was a great moment in the movie, great conversation. It was a pivotal moment in the progression of Elvis's career and him reigniting himself. And I just love the backdrop of LA, mm. Hollywood. It was just stunning. The lighting, goodness, yeah. beautiful. And many of the cars too. You know, Elvis was a huge collector of cars mm, and pink bikes. Cadillac. Yep. <laughs> and many of the cars were from local collectors in Australia. So they didn't have to bring that many over from the US. That's insane. And the filmmaking team actually restored and reupholstered all these vintage cars that were sitting around in people's garages. Like, how stoked would you be? No wonder they handed them all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it. Take it. Restore it. Like a win-win for everyone, really. Wow. I mean, the cars are beautiful. I'm not a petrol head, but there's just something about gorgeous vintage cars yep. in films and especially the way that, you know, Catherine Martin dresses them and yep. Baz shoots them. You know, it's just a joy. So shiny. So shiny. Would you drive a pink Cadillac? I would. Like you'd vibe it? They're quite long cars, though. Yeah, I'd definitely Parking scratch the shit out. <laughs> I am the worst fucking parker ever. <laughs> there, there are often times where I get out oh. so Josh can, like, reverse parallel park. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not ashamed to say it. You learn so much about Tim on this podcast. <laughs> He's just a hopeless human yeah. being. <laughs> Another thing about the costumes, okay, this mm. is a huge undertaking. And to give you an idea of how huge it is, mm. the costumes had to be accurate across three distinct decades the mm. 50s 60s and 70s and fashion changes phenomenally yeah. during that time yeah it's so important not just to tell the story and and set you in that period mm. but to help the actors in their performance yeah and apparently authentically Catherine martin actually organized for a lot of the costumes to be recreated by elvis's personal seamstresses and and designers. Wow. The real ones that worked on his original jumpsuits. Well, that just adds, you use the word authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, that's just a beautiful touch. And how lucky that they're still alive. And they agreed and to. And working. Yeah. That's pretty special. Uh, you probably know the answer to this question, but how many costumes did Austin Butler have in this movie? I don't. Please tell me. Throw a guess in there. Don't go too high. 400? Oh, fuck. All right. Jesus. Too many? <laughs> Way too many. Okay. Bloody hell. Uh, 90, which 90. I think still is a lot. That's still a lot, uh, yeah. And, you know, you're talking about all the different decades, but mm. Elvis was such an icon from a style perspective. Yeah. And so pretty nerve-wracking to have the job to recreate or be inspired by all his mm. looks and deliver them in such skill and craftspersonship yeah. that Catherine Martin and her team have done. Now, it wouldn't be a Lerman film without talking about the music. Oh. He's deeply interested in the music industry and likes to highlight emerging artists mm. while recreating the music of any cultural period. It's a real gift, but the tightrope to walk is weaving it into a narrative and making it cohesive, not obstructive, mm -hmm. or not at the expense of becoming a musical showcase instead of a flowing film. I think it teetered on the edge of that in yes. places. You know what I want to do, which what? I haven't done yet, is listen to the soundtrack in isolation. Yes. Because I think that's important because there, there's so much to enjoy from a Baz Luhrmann soundtrack. His ability yes. to blend period and modern music is something that he just runs with and nails all the time. There was a really random sample in this movie. I wonder whether you heard it. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what you think about it. But I swear... 
I swear he used a Backstreet Boys song at one point. Yes, I think he did. That was odd. But that might have been the Backstreet Boys might have sampled that from an Elvis song. Oh, really? Oh, I'm going to do some digging on that. Yeah. Because if that must be the case – because otherwise, why the fuck was it in there? <laughs> yeah. Because it was just well, it stood look, out like a sore, sore thumb. Or we whatever. recognize it yes. as Backstreet Boys, but it's yeah. probably sampled from an earlier song. You know, I was blown away by the music itself as a separate soundtrack. Yeah. But I didn't vibe it in the movie. I can't believe I'm saying this, but okay. I came out feeling like there wasn't a lot of Elvis music in there. Um, and there, yeah. there was some. Yes. There was. And it was powerful when it was there. But it's such a huge catalogue. Mm. There is so much that you can draw from. He recorded uh, over 400 songs, I think. Oh, geez, you know, okay. Imagine right. whittling yeah. that down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they took beats from his hits and they remixed it heavily, which is yes. very Lohman style. Super Lohman, yeah. But then again, okay, putting it this way, mm. much of his music, Elvis's music in the early years, was covers or borrowed from black artists. Yes. So is Lohman deliberately highlighting those artists over the traditional Elvis music that we know? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciated and loved the presence of the African-American yes. artists in this movie. And it really set a context to how Elvis, you know, became who he was. Yeah. And to acknowledge the fact that he did, he was so uh, inspired by gospel music and rhythm yeah. and blues and, and such like. So your insight there is a really interesting one. And I, I mm. feel like that's bang on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's definitely modernised that Beale Street feeling yes. throughout the movie. Yeah. But like I said, not so much in recognisable Elvis hits. Yeah. Beale Street, I guess if people don't know, is a location in Memphis, Tennessee that's considered the home of the blues. Yes. So there's a lot of that feeling and flavour throughout the film. It's a really good fucking time too, Beale yeah. Street. <laughs> is that really? <laughs> I don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> that's my whole trip to America at yeah. that time. I was basically drunk for five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I love a drink over there. Now, did you have a favourite performance of Austin Butler's? One of my favourite sequences in the film was the, I guess, I, I call it the coup of the Christmas special. Right. Which was such a fun part of the movie. Mm. Seeing them manipulate Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis and his team just doing whatever they wanted. Yes. He was meant to create this Christmas special with Christmas songs. And, and he wore a black leather jumpsuit instead of a Christmas jumper. Do you know that was the first day of filming? Oh, Austin it? Butler wow. in that iconic black leather jumpsuit and, oh, mate, like, heck. Yeah. Imagine that being your first frigging day as Elvis yeah. in that iconic moment. But it was his, his protest song, just to go back to what I wanted to talk about. Right now, mm-hmm. that song, that moved me to almost – Tears. Yeah. That was my favourite performance in the film. What yeah. would, do, do you have one that you can pull out? Well, can I use that one? Yes, of course you can. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. It was yeah. a really, really good performance. Yeah, so moving. So, so moving. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, I think we've done as good a job as we could to mm-hmm. cover off a Baz Luhrmann film as wild as this one. Shall we wrap up and rate our take on Elvis Lee? Let's give it a go, shall we? Elvis is a beautiful creative project bursting with all the impeccable style, colour, costumes and energy of a Baz Luhrmann, Catherine Martin enterprise. But if you're heading into the cinema to see a straight biopic about Elvis Presley, you may be disappointed. It's a huge undertaking and covers such a wide period that inevitably some elements will fall short of expectations. But Lerman elevates the world's greatest superstar even further to almost mythical status in this beautiful work of art with commanding performances. Austin Butler is absolutely astounding. I'm giving 
Elvis four popcorn kernels out of five. Lovely wrap up. Well, simply put, Elvis is a spectacle like no other. Baz Luhrmann will transport you through the decades in a flurry of flair and fantasy, yet find a way to pull you into a deeper understanding of Elvis as a man. Austin Butler is a revelation and his performance will be felt right across the globe as one of the best of the year. If there is any reason to see this film, it is to witness his embodiment of Elvis above all else. Of course, the visuals are sensational and the unrelenting pace of it all challenges you to go two hours, 40 minutes without taking a breath. If you're a fan of Baz and his unique way of telling stories, then this is for you. However, if being pushed and pulled across decades and timelines and subplots like a rag doll and a washing machine is a hard pill to swallow, you might choke on this one. I'm going to rate Elvis three and a half popcorn kernels. I love that you say push and pull and push and pull. <laughs> it's a bit like that, right? Yeah. So Elvis is in Australian cinemas from June 23 with an early screening at Sydney Film Festival on June 15. And don't forget, guys, get this to check Check out our exciting interviews with Baz Luhrmann and the cast of Elvis over on YouTube oh, right now. Amazing. <laughs> so exciting. All right, Tim, the immediate box office success of Jurassic World Dominion is nothing to sneeze at with the final chapter in the Jurassic saga taking in over US $400 million worldwide so far. That's a huge number, isn't it? Mm. Goodness gracious. Well, despite its poor critical reception, audiences are chomping at the bit to get their dinosaur fix, it seems, and celebrate the return of legacy Jurassic Park cast members, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum. You can check out our review of the film wherever you get your podcasts, featuring special guest host Nick LaBarra from Nick's Flicks Fix and the monthly Movie Marathon podcast. Now, I've got a bone to pick with you, Tim, pun intended. (laughs) You've got a prehistoric bone. (laughs) All right. (laughs) You and Nick absolutely destroyed Jurassic World Dominion. I haven't had a chance to see it, but I was so looking forward Mm -hmm. to this. You've just ruined it for me. You know what? I've been nervous to, to, you know, be truthful about this movie with you because – where you are such a big fan of the series, yeah. as am I. The OG cast coming back, the legacy cast. We were so excited. And I'm sure you got the vibe from our episode. <laughs> I was really disappointed um, at, at the outcome of the movie. Did I get the vibe? Uh, yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Jeez. Um, great episode, though. Thank you, Nick, for stepping in for me. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm actually really excited to hear what you think of Jurassic world yep. dominion when you get a chance to see it and we can throw in your sentiment on it sure. on the piece in an upcoming episode okay mm-hmm. well last week we shared the announcement that a joker sequel has been confirmed with returning writer and director todd phillips revealing its title now i might need your help in this pronunciation lee i don't speak french can you take this part don't look at me i don't speak french uh, jo- <laughs> what joker folie adieu Folie adieu. Yeah. And sharing the script had been completed. Tovelip said, the script is done. We've got a sequel. This is what is happening. Now, what else has happened this week? Well, there's more news on this, okay? So, since that announcement, Lady Gaga has broken the internet, basically, with the rumour that she is tipped to play Harley Quinn in the sequel. Now, that's freaking amazing. That's really cool. And she's revealed that the film will be a musical. WTF? So, what do we think about this? Is this fact or fiction? Look, it kind of doesn't surprise me on one level. I mean, mm-hmm. Joker was quite groundbreaking in the kind of film it delivered for this DC Comics character. Yeah, and I just feel like they need to push the envelope for the second one because we don't need a sequel, really. No, we 
we don't need a sequel. It was it was very closed story, but open ended. Mm. I'm excited by the concept that they are pushing the boundaries, like you said, and potentially making a musical. And what better vocalist and mm-hmm. rising force of an actress that Lady Gaga is to tackle the role of Harley Quinn in this context? Like maybe they're going to frame it in the sense that he's completely lost his mind uh-huh. and he's seeing everything like a musical. Like that would make sense, don't you think? Okay, yeah, I like that. So when a TV show does a musical episode, <laughs> yes, so it's kind of like that. Well, Grey's Anatomy did that. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's countless TV shows that just have a musical episode. Anyway, I'm sure this has a little bit more clout and yeah. <laughs> behind it. I don't think it's going to be exactly in the same vein as that, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Well, watch this space. You'll hear it first here on Popcorn Podcast. Now, a film that we were really divisive over – we have some news about its upcoming sequel. Mm. So Knives Out director Ryan Johnson revealed the title to the hotly anticipated sequel to his 2019 film Knives Out. And the title is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I think that's pretty cool. doesn't tell you very much, does it? What the fuck is a glass onion? Well, I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? Okay, well, I was I was hoping you were going to be able to shed some light on what no. a glass onion was. No idea, and I'm not going to try and guess. I want to be surprised. Okay, fair enough. So the follow-up to the film will see Daniel Craig's detective extraordinaire Benoit Blanc heading to Greece to solve a new mystery a la Poirot, maybe? Poirot, mm-hmm. the greatest detective yes. in the world. I, like, I kind of like that they're sending him off on all these different adventures. He's like the American Poirot, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. So the film's going to star Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Jessica Henwick and Madeline Klein. A killer ensemble cast there. Look, it, it's hard to pick out your favourite of the bunch. But there's something about Catherine Hahn that just excites me so much. And Edward Norton, oh, Kate Hudson, delicious. Leslie Odom Jr. Like, oh, they're all amazing. You just you're just reading them out again. I know. Like, they're all so good. <laughs> they're all great. <laughs> well, Glass Onion, a knives out mystery, will be available to stream on Netflix later this year. So Tim Life in plastic really is fantastic and we got a first look at Ryan Gosling as Ken in Greta Gerwig's live action film Barbie. I'm just vibing these first looks so much. So the movie also stars Margot Robbie in the title role and we got a glimpse of her look the other month to great excitement. In terms of Gosling and his look, so the image shared shows him armed with his own signature pair of Ken branded <laughs> underwear, which I want to own. Move over, Calvin Klein. Yeah. I want Ken underwear uh, with a bleached blonde do and approximately 17 abs to complete the look. Oh, my God, those abs. <laughs> Honestly, how old is this man? I don't know. I don't care. Like he's in his... <laughs> That's a very good response. I swear he's in his 40s and holy heck, he's like channeling the whole Jared Letters 50 years old vibe and he looks 27. Like, holy heck, what are these two men's secrets? Jared Leto has made a deal with the devil, I'm sure. He really, really has. He really has. Barbie is expected in Australian cinemas in July of 2023. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, Lee, moving on, we also got a first look at Harry Styles in the adaptation of novel My Policeman with the teaser trailer dropping this week. In this romantic drama of forbidden love, the arrival of Patrick into Marion and Tom's home triggers an exploration of seismic events from 40 years previous. The film also stars David Dawson, Emma Corrin, Gina McKee and Rupert Everett. 
Now for our market here in Australia, My Policeman will only be available to stream on Prime Video uh, in Australia and New Zealand from the 4th of November. Not long to wait for that one. What did you think of the trailer? It, it redefined the word teaser because trailers these days are just going for like three and a half hours mm. at this point. <laughs> this was a 40 second teaser. So it really did live up to the word yeah. teaser. Just a lot of visuals and a lot of oh, like you, you can go in longing down this looks. rabbit hole of in, longing looks. You can interpret a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm very intrigued. How did you feel yeah, about it? Yeah, I can't it? wait to see it. I'm very excited for this film. Well, Lee, that about does it for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast. We reviewed the film Elvis, directed by the visionary Baz Luhrmann. An incredible visual spectacle. Make sure you go out and see it in cinemas from June 23. Absolutely. Well, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.